Welcome to Game Over Montreal. We're talking about a Montreal Canadiens loss, but you know what? It's not the same as it was not too long ago. We're talking about a loss that isn't exactly a depressing one. We're talking about a loss where the Montreal Canadiens played really well and they fell victim to a PDO bender from the Arizona Coyotes, who are, I believe, over the last 14 or 15 games shooting at 15%, more like over 50% in the first period because that combined with Sam Montembeau not having the best first periods, and we're going to talk about that right now with our guest, Ian Boisvert. How you doing, Ian? I'm, I'm all right. Glad we're done with the buzzsaw that is the Arizona Coyotes, apparently. Uh, like, what wild. is that, their offense all of a sudden, right? Like, they had that stretch where they were scoring, like, eight goals a game, and they're almost still at it. They've Yeah, at... At the end of the first period, I I looked over the last four periods of, of play. They were shooting at 40%. Like, it's yep. just, it was just insanity. They're obviously not going to do that forever, maybe. But uh, it was, uh, I mean, it's a good one to lose if you're going to lose one to them. You yeah, know? We, exactly. You keep a, the last place to win. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's like the kind of thing about where the Canadians are right now. And we, I've kind of talked about it on the show a few times that like you look at other Canadian fan bases and outside of Calgary, which is super hyped up for every good reason in the world. It seems like the Canadians are the happiest fan base because the team's playing relatively well. And when they win, it's fun. And they're in such a deep hole in the standings that they're not going to get out of the bottom three positions for, most likely. And when they lose, you're like, that's okay. We want that high pick. It's a really strange situation to be in because it's like we've seen this team fall to the bottom before, but the frustration is gone because they've taken out everybody who's responsible for it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's still even in the moments where, you know, you're looking at this team and seeing the really the positive aspects of it, you know, the Cole Caulfields, the Nick Suzuki's you're still looking at stuff that is, uh, you know, organizational rot, <laughs> like yep. the defense as a whole <laughs> is, is still frightening to me. And the concept of losing Ben Chirot should not scare me as much as it does moving forward. Um, but I mean, you're looking at guys like possibly Petrie leaving Kulak's a UFA. Maybe he gets traded. Like who's going to play defense for this team next year is even scarier than what we're watching this season. But even with all of that in the back of my head, it's still, you know, it's it's still really nice to see Cole Caulfield score goals. Um, even though they don't matter, they still matter. Yeah, I mean, they matter for the future of the team, right? For his confidence, for for where the team is going to go. And there, there was a lot of talk tonight because, frankly, the game was not, it wasn't a snooze fest per se, but the Canadians weren't able to generate the offense that they like deserve to generate. And if you know what I mean, it seemed yeah. like funnily enough, like every single bounce in this entire game went the way of the coyotes, except for the two bounces that created Laurent Dolphin's goal to open the scoring for the Canadians, which like the coyotes were by far 
the luckier team in this game by yeah. every single measure, except for the luckiest goal in the game definitely belonged to the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. And I, you know, I agree with the concept that they, especially in that second period, it just seemed like the game just died. Um, they, I, I think I, I, I tweeted at one point that it seemed like the Canadians spent all of their offensive zone time on the boards with their backs to the center of the ice, just unable to make any sort of play to the middle. And then when they did get the puck to the middle, it was most likely going on net. So, I mean, it was just, it was real tough until about three minutes left in that period. It was just like watching them go in, get stuck on the boards. They're constantly looking over their shoulders, looking for passes that are not there. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it, it wasn't a snooze fest in the same way that like most of the Seattle game was. Oh, that was bad. It was a bad hockey game. At least it was in Eastern time. Yes, that was the one saving grace of it. And, <laughs> you know, frankly, the Coyotes are pretty fun to watch at this moment because they clearly don't care. You know, like yeah. there's there's no pressure on them, similar to what the Canadians are going through. And they're just trying crazy stuff and getting away with it, a lot of it tonight because, as you mentioned, Canadians defense core is not very good. And frankly... That, that's going to be something I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for Hughes and Gorton going forward, because I think there's forward pieces that are still there that are going to be building blocks for the future. But I'm not sure they have a single core piece on defense in the organization right now. And I know that uh, people get all worked up about Romanov, but I really don't think he's a core piece. You know, he would have to improve so much from what he is right now. To become yeah. like a top four level defenseman, I'm I'm not seeing the progress as of yet. No, I've I've said the same thing before. You know, it, it from what we saw from him in that World Junior tournament, and you know what we had seen of him coming in, he seemed like a much more dynamic defenseman. He's very one dimensional right now. It's very yeah. much I'm going to hit you into the wall. Like there's not a whole lot else. He keeps he's, I he's mean, good tonight, at that. He is very good at that in the same way that Alexi Emelin was very good at that. And then not very good at a whole lot of other stuff. Although yep. they keep, they keep, you know, it seems like plays in the offensive zone when Romanov's out there tend to, to funnel back to him. And he ends up taking a lot of shots from the point. He had that one goal against Seattle, where I think the only reason it went in is because Grubauer was like spinning his stick. Like he was in flag guard. Um, like it was, <laughs> He doesn't, he doesn't really have a ton of offense to his game, which is concerning because there's not a lot of pieces currently on this roster that, you know, on the back end are able to move the play up the ice. That's why, like, I'm, you know, trading Jeff Petrie seems inevitable at this point, but he's like the only guy built to do that other than maybe Brett Kulak, who might also be on the way out. So they're putting a lot of, I think anyway, the fan base has put a lot of trust in the big four that are coming up. And I don't even know how big of a four they are in Norlander, Struble, Harris. And am I forgetting someone? Brooke? Josh Brooke? Brooke. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there was promise for him a while ago. Injuries have obviously derailed that. But there's yeah, it's, a lot it's of trust like we, in those guys. I feel like we won't know how good Brooke is until he plays like a full season next year like barring any further injury. Like I feel like this year is just a total write off for him. He's yeah. just what a horrible start. Uh, oh, Gooley is uh, brought up in the comments. I'm not going to read the other name. I'm sorry, but we're, I'm not going to talk about the pick 
from this year until he earns yeah. my my yeah. words. I've I've said my piece on that, and we're not going to talk about him anymore. As if I, as if I. Yeah, I think most people covering the Canadians are kind of in that space now. That like they'll talk about the first round pick from twenty twenty one when that player or person earns the right to be talked about. As of right now not part of the conversation uh sarah why asks uh, i didn't see the replay what happened with jeff petrie on the first uh, coyotes goal he oh, kind of yeah. got interfered with by mark joanette it happens yeah unfortunately i feel like the refs did play a factor in this game to the detriment yeah. of the canadians but it's one of those things where it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things like as long no. as the canadians played well that's the takeaway uh for for this season but there was definitely I would say a different standard of officiating at two ends of the ice tonight, in, yeah. especially in terms of cross checks, because I think they got away with more on Brendan Gallagher alone than the Canadians did in the entire game. Well, it's funny. I think that those, they can thank Austin Matthews for those calls in the sense that not, you know, this isn't, you know, Homerism against the Leafs, just in the sense that I think the league on the biggest stage of the weekend saw a, the star play, a star player in this league get a suspension for a huge cross check. I think something must have gone out to the officials that say, hey, we're looking at cross checks again. Let's pay attention. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, the way that, you know, we can keep complaining about officiating, we don't have to because none of this matters at this point as far as results go. But it is increasingly frustrating watching Cole Caulfield score a power play goal immediately after a really boneheaded penalty was called. And then they say, okay, well, we did. We, we, we had too much to do with the results, so no more penalties for anybody. Yep. It's insanity. And it, it always seems to play out like that. Montreal gets a quick power play goal. That's it. You're done. You're cut off. Which is funny because like, it's not like they're good on the power play. No. You, usually you can give them 10 chances and they're yeah. maybe going to score one. <laughs> it's, yeah, maybe back in like the, the Kovalev Surrey power play days, like you could be like, okay, if I give them another penalty, there's like a 25% chance they're going to score. Yeah, those days, yeah, back when it was like Andre Markov feeding either Sore or Strite or Subban. Yeah. Andre Markov. We talked about that on the last show. That like Andre Markov is the guy that they really have not replaced on the back end. And you know, we you mentioned the idea of losing Petrie and who's gonna move the puck. They desperately need a guy like Andre Markov. Uh who was it here who said uh, Marc Antoine Lachance says Gorton mentions UFAs becoming part of the solution. You see Lindholm coming to Montreal. I'm assuming you mean Hampus Lindholm, as I think uh, a lot Elias Lindholm or Elias Lindholm in Calgary is signed long term, and I believe Hampus is a UFA this year. I don't think so, just because uh, I, I don't know. I understand what Gorton and Hughes were saying when they mentioned that, like you're not going to limit yourself from, you know, the right fit once it comes along, and they are going to have cap space once they start selling off assets. But I don't know if that necessarily meant this year. And I think uh, the insiders around the league were saying that uh, the assumption was they're looking at like second line centers to add in UFA, maybe yeah. to just make things a little bit easier on Suzuki. Because with Dvorak out this year, I mean, it's amazing that they're winning games right now, Ian, at all. Yeah. Because <laughs> like Rem Pitlick, bless him for the amount of goals that he's able to score. I don't think he's a center. Uh, Laurent no. Dauphin, you know, solid game tonight. Great four checker. I don't think he's an NHL center. Jake Evans is great, but he's a fourth line center. And now right. Paling's out too. There's just not much there to help Suzuki out. 
No, and I think, you know, going back to that free agency conversation, the, the only thing that really makes sense to me is if you grab guys for like one or two years, just because it's a flat cap world, right? Like the, that cap's not going up. Their slice of the pie isn't going to be as big as they might have wanted it. A few more years with full barns will probably help. But you might be able to grab a guy like, remember when Buffalo signed Taylor Hall for some reason? Like maybe you grab a guy like that. That's the only thing that like feasibly makes sense to me dipping into the free agency market. I, you know, everyone keeps saying uh, Patrice Bergeron or Chris Latang. I don't yeah, see that that's my conspiracy theory. <laughs> it would be really sick, Andrew. Like it would be like the jerseys would sell out immediately. I would buy 10 of them, but <laughs> it, it wouldn't. I, I just don't know if that money is best spent there at this point yeah. in time. It, it's tough. I feel like with Bergeron, you could say, you know, if he's coming here for a year or two years, just like maximum contract doesn't matter because you, you can afford it. You could just like let him teach Suzuki, like work yeah. with him every practice. This is how I do face offs. You know, this is my strategy defensively. Cause like, I mean, not really like Suzuki needs help defensively. He's great defensively, yeah. but I feel like one thing that he could work on is maintaining his high level offense while also being defensively responsible. Cause it seems like when he's, tasked with playing a shutdown role his offense just disappears and that's something that patrice bergeron is one of the only guys who doesn't seem to take a hit offensively at all when he's asked to do the shutdown role so that that's super interesting to me i know it's super unlikely but i love how angry bruins fans would be i was on vegas radio today and uh, one of the guys on the radio station i didn't know this before but was a bruins fan and I brought up the idea of Bergeron because Kent Hughes was his agent and everything like that. And I could hear him like sighing in the background, like, oh, I hate that. I hate that. <laughs> and they forgot to hang up on me at the end of the call when they went to break. And I could hear them talking afterwards. And the main host was like, that was great. And I was like, yes, I love doing Southern like uh, Sunbelt radio because they're just like so enthusiastic when they get a hockey yeah. guy from Canada. And the other guy was like, I don't want to hear that shit about Patrice Bergeron. <laughs> He's like, I hate that. I don't want to hear that. And I was like, I love well, it. I live in I live in Connecticut. So if I was walking around in a Montreal Canadiens Patrice Bergeron jersey, it would like there'd be pitchforks at my front door. Uh, so you know, it's it's it would be even worse if it was like I don't know if a Ranger came here because that's that's more of the territory I'm in. But definitely Bruins fans would be upset. I mean, a Ranger is the coach now, right? And former Ranger Marty St. Louis. And former Ranger is their vice president. And I know a lot of Rangers fans were not super thrilled when he got fired essentially for not calling George Peros a loser in the media. So that was, that was hilarious though. I will say like, man, and then they immediately turn around and the next guy (laughs) trades Buchnevich for some guy, Sammy Blay. Yeah. Some guy. That's what I'm saying. Who, who like, I mean, could you see Mark Bergevin trading for Sammy Blake? Yes. Apparently he tried yeah. to trade Lekkonen for him. That's the exact kind of move. That's, yep. <laughs> that's horrifying. Horrifying. Yep. I was just thinking today, cause you know, someone mentioned that Ben Schrott has a 10 team, no trade list. And I went, no, he does it. And I went, uh, Mark Bergevin absolutely gave him a 10 team, a 10 team, no trade <laughs> list. That's perfectly. His, I mean, you know, Ben Schrott, we're going to this conversation. I, pro- I should probably been broached a thousand times and will for the next week, but I never really had so much of a problem with Ben Schrott in a vacuum as I did with Mark Bergman signing Ben Schrott three times, like <laughs> the Ben Schrott contract, the Joel Edmondson contract, the 
uh, David Savard. Savard. They're they're all the same. Yep. Except he three summers in a row. One and didn't give him no trade protection. That was the only difference. Three summers in a row, he tried to sign the same player. He got one. I think Joel Edmondson is a really good fit. Yes, and I've come like, around Sher- on him a lot. Sherrod has his value, and I think most of that value is going to be what they get for him this year at the deadline. <laughs> but I will say Sherrod under St. Louis has been much, much better. And yeah. it's been a tough year for him. He doesn't get Weber on his line anymore. It like He is a team guy that everybody in the room loves. And that's one of those things where... First, I guess a 10-team no-trade list for Sherratt, maybe it makes things difficult, but he strikes me as the kind of guy who would waive that if the Canadians needed it to happen to get yeah. the best deal, just because he he just seems like that guy. And also, I feel like those 10 teams are probably not the playoffs <laughs> at this right. point, right? Like, maybe he doesn't want to go to Toronto, right, because of the series last year and, like, emotionally. Maybe that's yeah. a thing. But He'll Josh uh, George is his way out of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which still very funny. I mean, I think both Habs fans and Leafs fans laugh at that one. But, yeah, uh, he didn't want to go to Toronto. All right, about the game. Let's see what else I have written down. Oh, uh, before I go too far into it, because we're going to talk about Cole Caulfield. We got to talk about Cole Caulfield. But uh, watching the broadcast on TSN, Pierre LeBron had an amazing little clip that he rolled out that he had heard from a general manager who had called Kent Hughes on Arturi Lekkanen and just gauging the price point. And Hughes responded that Lekkanen was part of the cultural fabric of the Montreal Canadiens and no conversation about trading him would start without a first round pick. Where are you on that? I love Arturi Lekkanen. I think that's, that's kind of how I feel about it as well, that he is as ingrained in this team, just in the, the, the way that he plays I don't know a, a ton about the way that Marty St. Louis coaches, but like when he talks about forechecking, he talks about playing on top of people. Like, is there a guy on this team that does that better than Arturi Lekkanen? Like he's the most annoying forechecker I think I've ever seen in a Canadian's uniform. Um, but on top of that, like he does everything, you know, he, he, ha- he has gotten some power play time over the last few days, just I think out of necessity more than anything, but he's a penalty killer. He'll chip in 10 goals a season. I I think he, I kind of put him in the same group as Paul Byron. Like, yes, the value on the ice, you know, in points isn't there. Like, we're not going to see Arturi Lekkanen put up 50 points. But, like, that matters, especially for a team that's going to have a lot of turnover over the next few years, has a lot of young guys who need to learn how to play the game the right way. Arturi Lekkanen plays the game the right way. Um, I, I would be heartbroken if they moved him a first round pick would make it easier to move on from that. But he's, I mean, he's just, he's come into this organization as ever since he was a rookie and he's done everything they've asked him to do. Um, the price point's going to be tough seeing what that comes in at contract wise. But if you're able to move Yoel Armia, cause Darren Dreger reported a few days ago that teams are calling about him and suddenly Yoel Armia looks a little bit better on the ice. Funny enough. But if you're able to move Armia, like that's the that's your Lekkanen money, so you don't have to worry too much about that. Yeah, and that is like I look at Armia, Lekkanen, and Byron as three guys, and you can only afford to have one of them, 
right? If you're, yeah. if you're building towards something now, the cap doesn't really matter for the Canadians over the next year or two because they're rebuilding. Mm-hmm. But if I am the general manager and I'm looking at the future of this team, I would rather take losses in moving Byron and Armia than move Lekkanen for not a huge return. If you understand what I'm saying, like yeah. in order to make the decision to move Lekkanen, it would have to be worth, you know, first round pick plus at this point, like I, yeah. the way that they, they speak about Lekkanen and you know, the way that the whole team played under Ducharme, except for Lekkanen, I was, I was looking at some, like some splits today of like how players changed in terms of their on ice differentials under Ducharme versus under uh, St. Louis and under Ducharme, Lekkanen had something like a 57% expected goals for percentage. And the next best player was like 48 (laughs) on the whole team. He was just on an Island by himself, absolutely crushing it. And everybody else was getting outplayed every other roster player, which is insane. And, you know, obviously that gap has smoothed out under St. Louis because a lot of players are playing much better, but Man, if you have a guy who's giving it every single game in a season the way this went, it, it just, I would be very hesitant about moving on from that because that sets an example for your entire rebuild, right? You want every yeah. kid sitting in the stall next to Arturi Lekin and seeing how he prepares for games. It's not just about goals or points, as you mentioned. It's about how you approach the game. And I think he sets such a great example I mean, I don't know if he would necessarily be the captain, but I think in a lot of ways he is a, a real leader on sure. that team. And, you know, if they've actually got calls on Armia, yeah, <laughs> I mean, get yeah. out of that contract I, while you can. I mean, what's like the bare minimum? Like, I, <laughs> a part of me is like, if you gave me a third, he's yours. Like, that's, Armia? I'll, oh, just, yeah. I'll just, I'll wash my hands of that contract easily. And I think Armia is a guy who might look better in another situation. I think so um, too. He's a, He's a good player, especially in, with playoff hockey when there's less space out there to maneuver. He's a big body, but I've always had this this like vision of the way I watch Army that like as more guys get on top of him, he seems to get better. Yes, like, like he's like like he's like building a Voltron of other players that are just like bouncing off of him. Like I, I, he's a guy that I think a lot of teams could use. Um, but yeah, that contract is onerous, which makes me think it's more of a of an off season move if it happens. Yeah, I, I'm with you there as well. I think there's definitely some people around the league who think of Armia in the playoffs last year and might be maybe tempted. But there's so yeah. much term there and the flat <laughs> cap. I feel like if anything, the Canadians are going to end up taking like an equal value contract back that's maybe a year or two shorter. That might be something worth exploring. And maybe you don't get a pick out of it, which if it's a fit, you know, if you can trade Armia for a defenseman that might play next year and not be terrible, they do need somebody to man the back end. It's just a fact. Um, I will say Armia has been good the last couple of games. I thought he was great tonight. I thought he was really good in Philly. I thought he was really, really good in the second half of the game against the Kraken. And I noted in that game when we were doing the post-gamer that there was a point in that game where he was playing the puck and like nothing was going right. He was still he's tripping over his own skates. Yeah. You know, every time you play the puck, it's like a turnover or a pass into a skate. Nothing was going right. Like it's been all season for him. And then he just decided to start playing the body instead of the puck. Yeah. And all of a sudden he was an impact player again. And he's carried that through. And you know, two assists tonight for Armia. 
Maybe his best game of the year, frankly. I hope he continues to put it together, not even just for trade value, just like he's had such a rough year. Yeah. Everybody else has bounced back. It's his turn now. Oh, I remember like he had COVID twice. Like that can't be fun. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like that's sort of in the rear view mirror for a lot of folks right now. But like, I can't imagine his, his fitness is, is where it ought to be just not through any fault of his own. He caught this really bad virus. That's, you know, it's bad for your lungs. I'm sure it's not helping him. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm agreed. I, I, I like Armia a lot. It's, it's funny to think, you know, they got him as a throw in to, to eat. Was it Steve Mason's contract from Winnipeg? Yep. You know, that was a tidy little bit of business, but then as Mark Bergman often does, he then, you know, ties an anchor to that yeah to that little bit of business and now it's a big bit of business for a long time yep 100 percent. a couple comments here that i want to shout out uh why would you pay to move byron his deal expires next year and we won't be competitive anyway i'm not saying that i would pay to move byron mark antoine i'm saying that i would rather move byron and not get a big return than i would move lekanen for like two second yeah. round picks if you understand what i'm saying uh another one uh, 15 50, or 50 pop uh, says Devin Levi for Ben Sherratt. I mean, never would happen ever because first of all, that's a Sabres prospect and they have no need to add for a defenseman right now. They're not going into the playoffs, but anything like that, I think the Canadians would jump on it absolutely immediately. Like Devin Levi looks like a franchise goaltender. I don't yeah. think they're going to get that big of a return for Ben Sherratt. So like, Calm it down a little bit. But yes, the Canadians definitely do need a good young goalie. I, nobody in the organization has given much confidence uh, towards no. that area of the future. And obviously we don't know when or if Price will play again. I don't think he's practicing right now at this point, is he? Uh, just like the, the the solo skates, like he's yeah. moving laterally and we're seeing tweets from reporters who are like, look, he's moving side to side. And it's like, this is where we're at, huh? Like it's it's really tough to watch how the great one of the greatest goalies in the franchise's history is like. See, look, he's he's breathing. Like it's 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 uncomfortable. <laughs> it is. It is a little bit uncomfortable. I, uh, speaking of goaltending, though, I, I hate to do it to him, but Sam Montembeau, man, he he's not starting games very well. I went back and calculated it, and in the month of March. I believe he has, I don't know if I still have it open here. Yes, I do. He has a save percentage in the first period of 72.3%. And he does actually settle down during games and put it together. And like his overall save percentage is not horrifying in March. But man, he's really putting them behind. Like I was looking at the the two games over the weekend and like this one as well the canadians haven't had a lead now in the last three games a lot of that has to do with montembeau putting them behind in the first period and like listen most of the goals going against him aren't bad goals they are good quality chances but an nhl goalie needs to make a save once in a while <laughs> even on a, a really good scoring chance and the fact is i don't think he stopped a good scoring chance in the first period in a month no. And, you know, it's funny. I looked at the weekend games. There was two back-to-back -back games against teams who are well out of the playoff picture, and Primo didn't start either of them. And then they're playing against the only other team challenging them for the basement, and he doesn't start that game. And it's starting to look like the Canadians, at least for the time being, don't see him as an option. 
unless the first guy gives up four and seven in the first period. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I know they want to, the the reason they're not starting Primo is they want to set him up for success. Yes. I don't know if throwing him in, in a four, one game in the second period cold is setting him up for success. Granted, he did look good. He only gave up. I think he gave up one and then they added the empty netter. Um, You know, I, I just, I don't know what the plan is there. Like, and that's just growing pains of a new coach and the organization still trying to figure out what they have, because I think the stock on Primo has just fallen out of the sky since, you know, the start of this season. I think, you know, Hammond should be healthy again soon. I don't think he's out forever. The, the, no. the Twitter account shared that he had new pads made. So I imagine he didn't make new pads and then he's never going to play for the Canadians again. Um, you know, I, I think that, that's that's all that's going to take is is him going back down to the minors and just staying there until he's absolutely good and ready to come up and play. Yeah, and I believe Jake Allen is close as well. Like he seems to be he was projected to be back around the trade deadline if they don't trade him. That's the other thing, right? It's yeah, like I, Jake Allen can I'm fetch Maple something. Leafs, I'm real interested in Jake Allen. Like same here. And you know what I would do if I were the Maple Leafs? Do Allen for Mrazic plus. Because yeah. then, like the Canadians can eat that cap space, it's fine. Yes, and then they have somebody to back up Price next year if Price is back, or alternate with Montembeau if they want to do that again. It's something, right? It it kind of mm-hmm. solves the short term issue for Montreal and gives the Leafs something to to fall back on if Campbell fails come playoff time. I think that would be a great situation for both teams. Yeah. And his contract isn't onerous. Like he's got, I think this year and next, and it's like two and change. So yeah, it's less than Mrazic. So it actually give up the Leafs an option to add more at the deadline. What were they thinking on Peter? Like, Oh God. Like I, I, everyone keeps saying like, Oh, he's a nine, 10 goalie in his career. And I, I, I heard from a a wings fan. who was like, yeah, that's because like for a week he's unbeatable. And then, that you know he goes he goes and he posts seven twenties for the rest of the season. Like it's an average isn't like a mean. What's his mean save percentage? Like <laughs> I think that's a better for a goalie like Morazic, the that might be a better metric for him. Yeah, it's that's one thing that I look at with goalies actually is like what's the variance in their game to game performance? And like anytime you ask like a coach or Heck, uh, a regular player. Like, what would you rather have between two goalies? And one of them, their average save percentage is like nine twelve, and the other one's nine oh eight. But one gives you between like nine oh five and nine ten every single game, barring like the odd outlier performance. And the other one is, yeah, he averages nine twelve, but it's all over the place, like twenty thirty points different, and gets blown <laughs> yeah. out here or there, steals a game here. Most teams want the consistency, right? It's very rare that yeah. you want that. Oh well, he could get hot, or he could yeah. completely blow a series for you, guy. <laughs> and Mrazic is that guy. He can get hot, but it's kind of rare. It's just that when he gets hot, he's like, oh, I'll get three shutouts in a row. <laughs> I just hear Steve yelling, get a map every time I watch him. Play. Yeah, it, it, it has been ringing in my head since I saw him say it. <laughs> oh, God, him and his. If you tend, if you're a goaltender, turn the goal. <laughs> Always yelling. Poor Steve. He's going to lose his voice one day and the whole empire will crumble. Um, Cole Caulfield. We have to talk about him. Of course. This kid has ice in his veins. 
And every time I watch him play since the coaching change, I have no idea who was wearing his jersey in the first 30 games of the year. I have no idea how he only had one lucky bounce goal through 30 games when he is an absolute killer out there. His shot is completely absurd. There was a comment on like the very beginning of the stream chat asking if he was back in the Calder Trophy conversation. I don't think so because it's too late, but he probably was robbed of yeah. a nomination at least for the Calder by yeah. how awful he was utilized in the first half of the season. Well, and you know, there was a time I, you know, when he was with the world junior team for the Americans, they had him in the bumper slot on the power play and they tried to big brain it and just be like, look, he's, he's right here. He's in front of the net. And then the puck would just never get to him. And then the Canadians tried to do that too. They even watching it be so unsuccessful with the Americans tonight. He lines, he's been lining up on the point and then sliding into that Ovechkin Shea Weber spot, which it, I don't understand like why anything else was ever thought to be an option. His shot is absurd. He scored the overtime winner against Philadelphia where he just walked in and he said, I'm going to hit this as hard as I can to the top of the net. And there's going to be nothing you can do about it. Like it's, it's cool to watch the Canadians have a legitimate game breaker in the making. Like a guy who like, I know it's Arizona and I know they lost, but like there was a time, a period of this game where he went, actually, I'm going to flip this game on his head for a little bit. Yep. Eight in eight seconds. He scored more than he did in 30 games under the last coach. <laughs> How is that even possible? It, it was so similar in a, it reminded me it was so similar in a way to what Nick Suzuki did in Edmonton, right? Although one of Cole's yeah. wasn't called off when they called off uh, the one goal from Suzuki. And then he was like, I'm just going to do the exact same thing again. Cole was, went exactly. to the other side, but the same absolute rocket of a wrist shot just beat a goalie clean. I'd like to see if they can do what. So I remember that play, at least the one that was called off. I don't know if it was the exact play afterwards, but Suzuki does this thing on the power play where he loops back into the neutral zone and then he comes in with speed and the defensemen have lost him at that point. And at that point, he's coming in with speed and he's backing them up and he's able to get a shot off. Cole Caulfield, he's kind of just standing still when he shoots the puck and he can do that because his shot is otherworldly. But it'd be kind of neat if they could get that going on both sides and give them both threats to back the defense up. And that might open up Cole Caulfield to make a pass across the ice because he's a really good playmaker on top of having a really good shot. Yeah, and that's the thing about what he's doing right now is Caulfield's also playing the point, right? Because they're doing the yeah. the four forwards, one defense. So he's kind of got to be a little bit defensively responsible at the same thing, and he's not really struggling with it. I mean, the power play is still not good, frankly. It has a lot of work to be done. And I wrote about that in the Montreal Gazette today, which is out by the way, go check my Twitter or my Instagram. You can click that link and read it. But like the, the special teams have not improved under St. Louis. I think eventually they will. I think he might want his own assistance come summertime. Yes. I know he spoke recently about uh, how much respect he has for Luke Richardson. And I think Luke Richardson as a person is like very well loved in the Canadians organization. I thought he did a great job when he took over as head coach last year in the playoffs. But in terms of his work on the PK and running the defense, I just, I don't think he's done a good job. I it's been years and they haven't had a good PK. He's only had a top 10 PK in the NHL once 
the entire time he's run penalty kills in his coaching career as an assistant coach. And, and I think it's like 12 years or something like that. It, it's just, he, he doesn't have a great approach. Now, maybe with some input from St. Louis and some other people in the organization, they can put their minds together and they can keep a good person in Luke Richardson in the organization and reformat the way he, he thinks a little bit on the PK. But I, I just have a feeling that just like with management, it's going to be you're gone in the summer and there's going to be new assistance in Montreal. Yeah, I, I, I like Luke Richardson as a head coach candidate somewhere else. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, it's a shame he doesn't speak French because I think he'd be a good head coach candidate in Montreal and giving those opportunities on the PK and defense to somebody else, because like you watched him behind the bench in the Vegas series last year. And he, you know, there would be penalties where his team's freaking out and he's very stoic behind the bench. He's like a calming influence on a team. I could see him being a, a head coach somewhere else, but I totally agree. I think special teams in general have been such a sore spot for a long time where, you know, when the Canadians acquired Eric Gustafson last year at the deadline, and he was like almost life-changing for them on the power play. Like that's not good. (laughs) No, no, that, that doesn't say a lot of good things. Uh, (laughs) A friend of mine, Jason Marone says that whoever wins the Calder this year should start off their speech by thanking their family, their teammates, and most importantly, Dom Ducharme. I hate to bury the guy, but like it, I know, every it, game, it becomes more and more apparent that he didn't know what he was doing. I know that's like, I, I think he's going to be a head coach in the league again one day. I really do. I. I think he's a smart guy. He was just too stubborn. He got dealt a shit hand. Like there's so many things that went against him this year. I think that he was a guy who could manage this team when Weber and price were there. Right. Because Weber and Price are the leaders. They keep everybody in line. They keep everybody listening to the coach. You know, it's yeah. it's the goalie of the, the team for the generation and dad, you know, dad's right. smacking butts, making sure everybody stays in line. But without them. It just didn't work. It seemed like he had no authority and the things that he did implement just did not work and he was refusing to change it. I hope he gets another chance. Like I said in a recent episode, I hope he's on a beach right now sipping margaritas and not paying attention to hockey at all because if I were him, I would hate to watch what's going on right now because <laughs> everything is really daggers pointed at him. But you can't ignore the facts. It's yeah. It doesn't look great for him. No, no, not at all. Uh, do you see Martin St. Louis coming back next season without the interim tank? Yeah, they're going to announce that like right after the last game of the year, I would assume. Yeah, it's it's not going to be very long. It's going to be like a five year deal. I think I think yeah. Martin St. Louis is going to be attached to this team for a very long time. That uh, was my concern for a while was that they would do charm that and they would say, look, it worked. Here's a huge contract. I'm less concerned about it now just because I mean, he's he's playing with spare parts right now, like and the team is the mentality behind what they do every night is, is just so much more improved that it, it warrants a longer look at him. Um, I was very concerned about them being like, yeah, here's a five-year contract, but I'm every game. I'm less concerned with that, with that uh, aspect of, of him shedding that interim tag. Yeah. I feel like even his introductory press conference, I was like, this guy is saying all the things that I like to hear. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and once you see things implemented and, 
immediately all the things that you want to see happen in a lost season start to happen. The young kids are out front. They're scoring like crazy. They're fun to watch. That's like, okay, he can do this. Maybe he might not be the guy that takes them to the promised land, but I think he's, he might be the guy that lays the foundation for this rebuild essentially to be yeah. successful. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Um, anything else that you noticed during the game that stood out to you? Does Brendan Gallagher not remember how to play with the puck? Oh man. I feel so bad for the guy. I thought he I did everything possible this game yes. to score. <laughs> yeah. And there are just moments where he has the puck on his stick and he just has a brain fart. Like, that that three on one that sort of materialized out of nowhere and he's skating in and he's skating in and he's skating in and he's and then he shoots it and or he passed it. And there was no lane. You, you know, know what that I, that looked like to me, a guy who's overthinking it because he's just yes. got no confidence, right? Like, yeah, there's no way a confident Brendan Gallagher passes that puck. It was very clear <laughs> Hoffman wasn't going to get that pass. Yeah, no. And yeah, I, I, I think he's doing all of the right things with the puck it's the it's the second that he has to make a decision to put it somewhere else you know he was like i mentioned earlier when the canadians were stuck on the boards for a lot of this game he was a prime you know example of that where he'd, he'd have the puck on the boards he'd have a chance to make a play but he'd second guess it and go another direction um you know when when gallagher isn't a confident player it really really shows mm-hmm. um because you know you need a lot of confidence to to play the game the way that he plays it you need to go to the net thinking that if the puck lands in my skates, I'm putting it in the net. Um, I, I feel like the dam is going to break with him eventually, but it was something that I've noticed tonight and in previous games that like he gets the puck and I'm just, I'm worried like what's going through his head. Yeah. There's a, there's a comment here. It says Galley looks like he's just stressed out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's does. true. He does. He looks like he's very stressed out all the time. He still hasn't scored a goal at five on five this year. That to me is got to be the most insane stat of the entire season for any player because he is an absolute powerhouse at five on five. Like he has been his entire career. It's been the power play that's held him back from being like a solid 30 goal scorer throughout his career. And now the power play is the only place that he's been able to score and few and far between this year. I worry about his hands long term just because of how much abuse he's taken from his own teammates. I like, mean, how many times his hands have blown up and had to be surgically exploded. put back together. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned. Like the longevity of him being able to like have an NHL wrist shot. It's not, he's not a particularly fantastic shooter at a baseline. No, know? he's not. Like, that's no. not, that's not his game. Um, and he still was able to be successful without that being part of his game. But you know, I am worried like, as his body starts to take more of that abuse in front of the net, like what are we looking at three years down the line with Brennan Gallagher? Yeah. I think this is the wildest thing to me about this season for Brennan Gallagher. Zero five on five goals. The previous three seasons leading into this one in terms of goals per 60 minutes played number one in the league, Austin Matthews, not surprising. Number two, Brennan Gallagher (laughs) in the whole league. And he hasn't yeah. got a goal at five on five. Like there's decline. And then there's whatever the hell this is. Well, and remember who he was playing with those two years, the last few years, like those guys aren't here anymore. That's and true. I'm not saying that they were booing him, 
but but it was a, a had, line that was symbiotic right there was right. something there that fit together and you're right that from the start of this season he flat out wasn't on a scoring line right he started no. on the third line and and none of his lines have been consistent i mean you can say that about literally any player on this team but it's a reality for him that he has specifically not had to worry about for three seasons playing with defensive stalwart Phil Deneau. I don't need to worry about defense. Phil has defense. And Thomas Tatar, who is kind of a wonder kid on this team, I don't, I, to this day, I still don't know what he particularly did well, like, like specifically, but it always worked out. Like, I, I love the Thomas Tatar experience. I was bummed when it ended. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's hurting like without those guys and just without any kind of consistency with the way that, you know, he's deployed. Yeah. That, I think that's a huge deal. I mean, Phil Deneau also was a much better playmaker than people ever gave him credit yeah. for at even strength because his kind of playmaking wasn't, you know, the Nathan McKinnon passes through the slot. It was like the four checking and then he'd throw a puck right in front of the net where Gallagher always is and Gallagher could shoot it in. It's it's absolutely mind-boggling that it's gone this off the rails for Gallagher. I will say though, since the coaching change, he is, I believe, leading the team in like every differential. So like that part of his game has returned. So I'm yeah. less worried about him in terms of overall decline. But the shooting definitely is something that. Yeah. I mean, how many times can your hands get blown up by Shea Weber shots before they no longer function? Well, it'll probably never happen again. So, like, we have the capstone for that. <laughs> this is true. We got a comment on the stream chat. Drew Minow says, Shea Weber retiring was the best possible thing to happen for Brendan Gallagher's body. <laughs> I mean, he's still had the injuries this year. Gallagher will find a way to hurt himself, but... Yeah. Yeah, can't really disagree. Um, hasn't had any chemistry with any teammates put on his line, especially when it was getting switched up every game from Sarah. Yeah, I think that's true. I think the biggest thing is he hasn't had a center to play with consistently. The one yeah. point in the season where he seemed to generate a lot of offense was when he was with Nick Suzuki for a short stretch and then he got injured. Well, go figure. Last. Nick Suzuki helped to help the player develop offense. Like it's, yeah, I, th I think, I think you could put like, you could put me on that line and I might have, you know, some success like that. Just a testament to how Nick Suzuki is playing this year. Yep. Uh, Leon says uh, it. I'll say it. I've said it once and I'll say it again. He's the adrenal gland of the team, but right now it's like when your body gives you fight or flight for no good reason. Yeah. I mean, that is what Gallagher looks like. I hope that he has a nice little run to end the season just for his own mental state, yeah. because I don't think you want to carry through into the summer what he has been dealing with this season. It just, it sucks. I mean, it, it's kind of sucks to end the show on a load, but uh, Maybe we'll hey, Cole Caulfield. Everybody look at Cole. Yeah, Caulfield. Just say Cole Caulfield. Yeah. He's amazing. I mean, 11 goals. Now I think we put the over under on 15 for the season when he scored his first and then had the disallowed goal against Washington. Yeah. And uh, I think we might have to up that now. I, I think he'll yeah. get significantly over 15. I think he'll push 20. Wow. That'd be something. And I think it would give a lot of confidence moving forward that he can be that 35, 40 goal guy. Um, that Trevor Zegers promised us he would be. Yeah, that was people like don't believe that Zegers said that. And I know that Cole Coffee turned around and said that Zegers would score 70 points. I think Zegers is going to be closer <laughs> to the yeah. uh, prediction, but next yeah. year we'll get him next year, Cole. All right. Uh, before we close it out, Ian, tell everybody where they can find your work. Sure. I'm on Twitter at maybe it's Ian. 
um, subscribe to the bill, the podcast I started just a little while ago, going through the, um, you know, the, I just kind of want to catalog this entire new organization's, you know, building to be a Stanley cup champion again, um, at rabbit habs, rabbithabs.com for the blog. And the sweatshirt I'm wearing is for my, uh, hockey newsletter pals. It's a very stupid website that we all run together. Um, the, the bottom of the shirt says, uh, deep puck ship post can't lose. So it is, uh, <laughs> That's just what we do there. So uh, uh, that's hockeynewsletter.party. You can subscribe to our sub uh, stack. And speaking of shirts, you should all go to the SDPN shop and get some SDPN merchandise like this Game Over mug. And also, Fantastic. hey, uh, while we're on the SDPN merch, we can go get the... Oh, this way. <laughs> this is the trans flag uh, shirt from SDPN because this is a company that actually cares about marginalized people. You can also get your pride merchandise at SDPN shop and uh, yeah, trans lives matter. And uh, maybe everyone take a look at the, like, don't say gay bills that have gone through over the last little while and what Republicans are trying to do in the States and what conservatives will probably try to do here, trying to like re-legalize conversion therapy and stuff, which is crazy. So uh, sorry to get political on you all at the end, but uh, let's all stand up for our fellow human beings because they deserve it. All right. We'll see you on Thursday. For another game of Game Over Montreal and uh, another Montreal Canadiens game where they play some exciting hockey. Who knows if they'll win or lose? Doesn't really matter, but uh, Cole Caulfield's going to score.